You're listening to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. Hosted by Rev Yearwood, Mustafa Santiago Ali, and me, Antonique Smith. Each week, we host important conversations with innovators, policymakers, cultural influencers, and movement leaders who are leading the way to a 100% clean energy and just world. Welcome to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. I am Rev Yearwood, President and CEO of the Hip Hop Caucus. And I'm Mustafa Santiago Ali, Senior Vice President of the Hip Hop Caucus. Welcome to our radio show and podcast that delivers real talk on climate change and environmental justice. No sides, just real talk. Come on now. We're all about real solutions for stronger communities and making sure everyone can move from surviving to thriving. I like that, Mustafa. Yes, sir. We want to thank you uh, to this amazing studio here in Washington, D.C., WPFW 89.3 FM for hosting us here in the studio and also to all of our supporters, um, some of them I want to mention from LCV and UCS. And this is a big thank you for all of our listeners who tune in each week from all around the country and the world. We love you all. Yeah, and you can check out the show's blog at think100.info. Let me say that again, think100.info. And be sure to follow us on social media at think100show. And also, Mustafa, what's your uh, Twitter handle? It's at EJ in action. I like that. And, yo, he got, like, everybody in the world following him at EJ in action. So you should just join in with the whole mob. We got, like, a million people. <laughs> him and Justin Bieber. <laughs> I'm still waiting on Oprah. Oprah, what's oh, up? So what's he, going on, Oprah? On that follow. So that's, that's what is happening. And so we have some, actually some happenings um, around the world. Um, today, actually, is International Day and support of victims of torture. Shout out to my friends at the National Religious Campaign Against Torture. That is an, a great group that is doing great work um, around torture, not only torture from Guantanamo um, and, and internationally, but also here regarding solitary confinement. So we definitely want to lift that up. And for all the victims of torture, um, we stand with you. And... Coming up, I need y'all to mark on your calendars. It's such an important date, July 21st. If you are in the climate movement, the EJ movement, the climate justice movement, mm -hmm. you are with mountaintop removal, you are fighting against fracking, pipeline, mm. anything That's in this right. movement. Yep. You need to be out there at the Youth Climate March in Washington, D.C., on July 21st, and it's all around the world, and you need to go there uh, to find. make sure you can find it. We'll be having more about that coming up, and we'll actually be having some of the guests mm -hmm. on this show, and hopefully we're going to be out there broadcasting live, but I just want to make sure you put that on your calendar. Mustafa, what else is going on in the world today? Yo, the Supreme Court is off the chain. Mm. You know, we've been watching a couple of different things before the big announcement today. So we know that in relationship to voter ID laws, we know that in relationship to gerrymandering, the decisions that have been coming down have not been beneficial to our most vulnerable communities, to folks who are just looking for an opportunity to fully participate uh, in the civic process. 
But today they took it one step further with the Muslim ban. Now, we all know that the president has been pushing that. Uh, we all know his tweets that have been going on since he walked into office in that space. But today the Supreme Court um, sort of sided with the um, views that, uh, unfortunately, far too many folks in our country have, and there's now a ban on seven countries uh, who can no longer uh, sort of freely come into our country, of course, going through the proper channels. Um, so we need to pay attention. And this is why we say your vote matters. We never tell folks who to vote for. For my vote. But we tell folks that you really need to have an understanding of the decisions and the directions people are trying to take our country and then get engaged in the way that you see fit. Um, and this is a clear example of when we don't get engaged in the process, when we are not making sure that folks are respecting our vote, what can happen? But we also know that, you know, today there are seven uh, states also who are out there in the primary season. So I right. hope everybody's engaging in that process um, as we move forward and trying to make sure that we are creating healthier, more sustainable communities across our country. And elections have consequences. They sure do. That's real. I just want to say this, um, Mustafa, I think I want you to discuss for the people what's going on with family inspiration and immigration. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say this to everyone listening. Sometimes people think when you may hear certain folks and they say, that's progressive just talking. I want to be clear. Mustafa was, he worked and served this country at the EPA and on Congress. I know I served this country as a as an officer in the Air Force, so we clearly love our country. This is not, we just not, something we, we actually love our country sometimes too much because mm -hmm. we just, why we are doing this. And they're also, some things are breaking our hearts. So, Mustafa, tell us about what's going on because we know that there is no climate justice without immigration justice. Mm -hmm. So, break that down for the folks today. Sure. So there are a number of movements that are going on, pushing back against breaking up of families of, you know, where are the children? Where are the girls? Where are the babies? So, you know, on the Texas border, of course, we currently have an administration that is doing everything that it can to keep asylum seekers from having their due process and from being able to come into our country, mm. which does a disservice to our country because traditionally we have taken folks in from Europe and other places into our country uh, who were seeking asylum when there were atrocities happening, when there was egregious behaviors happening. Um, so why aren't we extending that same level of consideration to brothers and sisters from Central America, Come on now. Uh, from Mexico, All right now. Uh, and from other countries? All right. So we know that these do not represent Americans' values, at least not the values for the 21st century. Um, so we want to make sure that folks know that folks are engaging, are pushing back, are trying to the best of their ability to hold people accountable uh, and make sure that folks understand that when you do these types of things, you are not going to do them in the dead of the night. You are not going to do them without there being a spotlight placed on them. Come on. And we understand that Dr. King once said that we may have come to these shores on different ships, but we're all in the same boat now. Come on. So now, that's Mustafa. why so many come folks on, of all colors and creeds are coming together and saying we will no longer accept this type of behavior from our elected officials or from our federal workers. So we understand in many instances are just following directions, but we're saying this cannot happen mm. uh, in, in our country and in our lifetime. All right, now. That's my brother, Mustafa Ali. Dropping it. Real talk here on Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. And for those who are in our movement, our wonderful environmental movement, please know that climate justice means standing first and foremost 
with communities on the front lines. If you are not standing with the communities on the front lines, then you are not in this movement as well. So, man, Mustafa, today we get, we have a special guest from an amazing, you know, I'm going to let me say amazing, amazing organization <laughs> committed to building a healthier world. Just don't say bigly. Uh, no, I'm not going to say that. So Astrid Caldas serves as senior climate scientist in the Union for Concerned Scientists. And I hope the scientists are still concerned. We're going to ask you that question coming up but she is she focuses on climate change adaptation with practical policy implications she recently helped to author a report titled quote underwater rising seas chronic floods and implications for the u.s coastal real estate this report details and assesses by the end of the century Homes and businesses worth more than $1 trillion could be at risk from sea level rise. Hmm. So without further ado, Astrid, it is great to have you here. Let's hear about that eye-opening report. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. What we found, we, we set out to see when these people were going to be seeing so much inundation before they are completely underwater. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, it will disrupt their lives. So they're going to be seeing this type of chronic inundation at least 26 times per year, which is a lot. It doesn't matter if it's an inch of water or one foot of water, you don't want to see that kind of water 26 times on your, in your home. And we found that not only towards the end of the century, like you mentioned, but Within the life of a mortgage, by 2045, more than 300,000 homes along the coast are going to be seeing this type of chronic inundation. Mm. And the current market value of those homes is about $117 billion. So those homes at risk within the life of a mortgage are something that people have to be aware of if they are in the market for a home or if they own a home in these areas that are going to be subjected to this, what we call chronic flooding, which is before they get permanently underwater. Mm -hmm. And the whole sea level rising conversation, most folks don't really get what's happening in that space. Can you kind of share That's a right. little bit for maybe some of the folks who are newer to this conversation? They may have heard some false narratives uh, and maybe don't have the, the real talk that I know you're going to share with them. <laughs> talk about real talk. If you want to find something to contest and to say it's not true, it's not sea level rise mm -hmm. or global warming for that matter, because we have hard data. Mm -hmm. We have measurements. We have things out there that are measuring these things. And we know that the atmosphere, the air around us is warming up. And we know that the sea level is going up, the sea is getting higher and higher. And that is because a lot of the heat from the atmosphere goes into the ocean mm. and the ocean hot water expands. <laughs> so as it expands, it has nowhere to go but up. So as it goes up, it creeps more into the, the towns on the coasts and it reaches farther in and it starts flooding more with every high tide, which is what chronic inundation means. Mm -hmm. And so Ashford, so one of the things here that's so important to understand, if you can kind of, kind of really bring this for, we have a lot of young people who are listening to this show, right? We, this is the coolest show on climate change. Of course. We got, we got, a, lot of, got a lot of young folks who are tuning in, and this is their, as Mustafa, this is their first time getting engaged. You're talking about sea level rising. You're talking about literally 2045 and by the end of the century. A lot of young folks who are 20, 30 are, are doing the math, and they're saying, well, if I have a home 
on the coast. If I'm on the East Coast or the West Coast, and this is when I'm in my 30s, 40s, 50s, 70s, I get older, you're talking about catastrophic destruction. What, is this, what does this report mean, not only for these young people, and what can our country do about it? For these young people, it means that they have to be super aware of what the future can bring. Mm -hmm. And this risk to our coasts is something that, because we love the coast, everybody loves being by the water. So people tend to go there and want to have a home there. Well, if you're going to invest your life savings into a property, that's going to be your biggest asset. You want to be aware of these risks. You can look at our maps. We have interactive maps that you can check. I can share the, the website. It's pretty straightforward later on. But if the trajectory that we are on right now in the terms of the rate of sea level rise that's happening, by the end of the century, we're going to have up to 26 inches of sea level rise. Mm, wow. That Explain, is a lot. For folks to understand what that means. They may just hear 26 inches. They may say, well, 26 inches, that's not that much. Explain what that means as far as the rising and the, and the catastrophe that will cause to not only to those on the coast, but to those who are further inland. A lot of the, the locations, a lot of the coastal cities are within a foot of sea level rise. So mm -hmm. if you have 26 mm. inches, you're kind of flooding a lot of the area of those cities, of those town, coastal towns. Florida, certain areas of the Hampton Roads in Virginia, mm -hmm. areas here in the D.C. area in Baltimore. The eastern shore of Maryland is one of the top places that are going to be seeing this kind of inundation. They are very low land. So if you talk about two feet when you're standing there, it says, it's two feet, I'm here. But it's very hard to see that the lay of the land and those two feet may mean your living room is flooded or not, mm. or the streets to go to your school, or the services that you depend upon. It's not that you have to be hit directly, it's the services, the tax base, that's that kind of sustenance of a city. Those can be hit so hard. And talking about climate justice and environmental justice, a lot of people that are going to be deeply impacted by this, the, the wealthy people on the waterfront with the big houses, they have the resources to go elsewhere. A lot of people who work on those waterfront businesses, who need this, those daily wages, they're not going to be able to go to their work. They're not going to be able to, you know, make their daily, you know, What does money. that mean for poor people? Mm -hmm. I mean, sorry. I mean, the people, we found that in our results, there are 175 of these coastal communities that have above average poverty levels mm -hmm. considered across the nation. That's what I mean. So of those 175 across the nation, the majority is in Louisiana, but a lot of them are also in New Jersey and here in Maryland. So these people, and, and then you add that, you overlap that with locations that have above average populations of African Americans or Latinos who have been disengaged for a long time due to historical reasons and all the things that we know about. And many times they are going to be the last ones to receive resources or help to prevent those inundation um, uh, events from, from reaching their homes and their, and their businesses because many of them have businesses mm -hmm. also. Yeah, and I recently did a, uh, an interview with some folks uh, in Florida, down in the Miami area. And, and there are some traditional areas there where we have more Latino folks, more African-American folks uh, who were pushed a little further away from the sea. 
Um, and the wealthier folks were, of course, that beachfront yes. property. And now with the rising of the sea level, the folks, the wealthier folks are now displacing uh, the individuals who are, you know, just a little bit further back, a little bit higher that elevation. Yes, that is correct. There is, you know, there is the, the story of Paulette Richards, who started talking about climate gentrification way back before mm -hmm. it became you know, big thing everybody talks about, including scholars and academics. But she's from, from Liberty City, which is part of Miami, and it's in the higher ground. And she said she, she kept seeing their people being displaced because of foreclosures on homes because they couldn't pay them anymore because people were moving in and the tax base was changing and they were being pushed out. Well, that is kind of very, very um, desirable land right now because mm -hmm. it's still in the area and it's higher ground. But the people who are being displaced are being pushed further south in the county and areas close to the nuclear plant and areas that are going to be flooding more because they are lower land. So that's what, we, you know, the, what she she really saw it coming and she's still very very active and she is a fighter and uh, you know mm -hmm. i just like to give a shout out here yeah. to her. and then i also think about um many of these coastal communities where folks of color are uh, and how i recently had a conversation when i was in florida with a representative from the insurance agencies uh, and talking about the difficulty that folks will have in, in the future in being able uh, to purchase insurance to protect their property um, can you talk a little bit about the sea level rise and how that might impact uh, people being able to, you know, have insurance in the communities that you're focusing on? So for, for all communities that we found that there are properties at risk, there's going to be reverberations, as we call them, beyond just the properties and the homes that mm -hmm. may be at risk of this chronic inundation. Mm -hmm. It's going to be their own value. It's going to be the, the mortgage market that may not be willing to mm -hmm. do a, a mortgage on a home that may not sustain its value throughout the years. Mm -hmm. There are the impacts of the tax base when people start leaving, like I saw in the eastern shore of Maryland, homes abandoned. Mm -hmm. People just up and leave. They cannot sell their properties. It's not worth anything mm -hmm. anymore. They can't pay their mortgages, so they just up and leave. So the cities, the towns really suffer a big impact. And we interviewed several people in the industry, the mortgage bankers, uh, real, real estate market uh, and insurers, and they all see this coming. They are seeing, mm -hmm. they're seeing it coming and they know that something needs to be done. There's really action in terms of policy and in terms of more awareness that the, all these players, all these actors in this market need to be paying attention to. Yeah. Rev, I want to just bring in a new concept for folks as we begin to, to transition. So in many instances, we talk about frontline communities, those communities that normally are, are close to sort of those polluting fossil fuel facilities, coal fire, power plants, so forth and so on. I think that folks should also think about frontline communities in reference to what we're discussing today, uh, of being vulnerable from sea level rise, uh, right. especially our most vulnerable communities uh, who can't escape um, as you shared, uh, from these impacts that are coming. It's very, very similar to folks who can't get away from an incinerator, can't get away from these other petrochemical facilities, so forth and so right. on. Yeah, it's a very, very, very important uh, aspect of this environmental justice and climate justice movement is to, to be aware that equitable resources, equitable solutions, mm -hmm. and not leave you know, the, other, the people behind. Everybody is entitled to having a good life and to having the, you know, the resources that they need to 
keep their assets and keep their lives going. It is. So I, I want to ask, so actually I have, a, I have a question. So if you're tuning in, <laughs> you're listening to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, and you're listening to Ashwick Kaldes, who's the senior climate scientist at the Union of Concerned Scientists. And she has affirmed that the scientists are still concerned. Very much so. Very much so. So that's, that's, that's important. And so I actually want to ask you, Two questions. Yes. Um, one, as you know, this is, very, this is very important. When UCS was created, it was created, I believe, in around 1969. Yeah, it's going to be our 50th anniversary Come on now. Come on now. No, no, no. A little bit of history now. U.S. for 50. And I bring that up because UCS was created around this idea with students and teachers who are concerned about science and nukes and how our government was using that. Correct. All right. That was their concern. But the time frame of 1969 was that at that time, we had just elected uh, uh, President Nixon. And it was a lot of, the, the Kyle Rigger was on fire. Yep. And it was a time when there was no EPA. And so that was a time when people was like, should have been most despondent, but actually groups like UCS and NRDC and LCB were all created at a time when we should actually be going backwards. Well, come forward 50 years. We're at another time where it looks pretty bad. We're pulling out the Paris Accord and we're throwing things and man, we're talking about silver rises and don't buy no oceanfront property all right. and all this kind of stuff. What can you give folks as you're leaving? What kind of, and what kind of thing can you say that what can encourage them? So they won't be so discouraged hearing this report today. We've been there. Mm -hmm. There's been lots of different occasions with different instances of different mm -hmm. attacks on the environment and people that we know. You know. So we've been there and, and we persevered and we've overcome. So I think that this time around, nothing lasts forever. Come on now. There is a certain number of years that we are, you know, seeing ahead that we're not looking forward to. But I'm telling you, I wouldn't be in this business if I didn't see that there is a way out. And our country, as a country, has slipped out of this Paris Accord. You know, they don't want to be in there to reduce emissions. But we know that cities and towns and states are doing a lot in terms of reducing emissions. Mm -hmm. And if we stick to the Paris Accord and if we tr manage to limit global temperatures less than 2 degrees centigrade, more than 80% of these in chronic inundation at risk properties would be saved. So let's, let's keep the fight about, you know, the, let's do it. We can do it. We can do it. Mm -hmm. and, and there is a lot being done. And a lot of people say, oh, they, they sued the EPA and whatever. Mustafa knows about that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these states that sue, they are already up there and they're, you know, renewables targets. And I mean, it can, it can be done. We, we have to keep the fight. We will keep the fight. Yeah. Thank you so much, Astrid. Thank you so much. Man, stay tuned. This show is just getting hot. I'm telling you, I have my dear brother here all the way to amazing Senator Jeff Berkeley from Oregon State. Senator Berkeley has been a leading progressive voice in the Senate since 2009 and is notably active in his commitment to climate change issues. He has been able to tackle climate change problems in his home state through programs like the Water Infrastructure Financing Innovation Act that also created jobs and real impact in his state. Senator Merkley is one of the loudest, and I mean that, he's one of the loudest voices currently advocating for the climate. He has seen its effects in Oregon on the land and the economy and has been very active in Congress to approach the problem head on.
most recently winning key provisions in the Energy and Water Appropriations Bill. But beyond climate change, Senator Merkley is also a vocal civil rights act advocate. So he knows how to break down the silos between climate change and civil rights and other issues, immigration, and recently took a headlining grabbing trip down to the border to see the immigration problems that have been so recently exposed. Senator Merkley, welcome to Think 1%, the coolest show on climate change. And I love the name. It's great to be with you. Think 100. There it is. There it is. Senator, we know that you have been extremely focused on climate change, on environmental issues, environmental justice issues, um, but also jobs. Um, and, and how do we utilize, you know, sort of a clean economy, be able to move forward. But we also know that there's another dynamic that's also going on in this process. And that is we find it both at, a, at our borders and other borders that folks are being climate refugees, mm. uh, seeking asylum for a number of different reasons, sometimes for security, sometimes because of environmental issues. Uh, and we know that you were recently down at the border. Um, you saw you know, some of the uh, injustices, some of the egregious things that are going on. Can you just kind of talk to folks a little bit about where you've been, what you've been seeing, and, and the connections in this space? Oh, sure. You you bet. And uh, I'm, I must say, I went down to the border uh, now uh, three weeks ago uh, because I heard about this new policy of taking children away from families where the parents are seeking asylum in the U.S. They're fleeing persecution from abroad. They're fleeing horrific circumstances abroad. And in many cases, that can be cases of uh, civil breakdown that stem from mm -hmm. climate change. For example, what we've seen in Syria is a situation where an uh, extended drought, a uh, changing climate, drove people to the cities, disrupted the economy, and created enormous frictions that, that turned into a, a civil war. Mm. And I was just over in uh, uh, North Africa to uh, check in on several countries that were having uh, mass uh, famines and some 20 million people at risk of, of starvation in places like Somalia and South Sudan and Democratic Republic of the Congo and so forth. And uh, there you see a combination of factors. You see corruption, you see civil conflict, and you see climate climate change, uh, uh, adding to the, the tensions and, and fight over resources. Mm -hmm. So it's it really is a, a driver of a lot of the challenges we are seeing in the world right now, and it's an ex at an accelerating rate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Senator, first, let me say this. For those who can't see this, um, I had to describe this for you, and you can watch, come and go online and watch it online at think100.info. But I, listen, this is not only probably the, the, this is not only the coolest show, but man, you know, Senator Rookie is giving a run at your boy, uh, uh, Senator Booker right now, at the coolest. My money's on Senator Rookie right now. You know what I mean? Because when he came in, Senator Booker didn't put the hat on when right. he came in. Senator Rookie right. is rocking the fitted. And right. so that's very important well, you know, for Corey, all the like, young folks around the country <laughs> and the land. He lets you know he's with young folks yeah. from the gate. So thank you for that. So y'all have to go online to think one of that info to check that out. But Senator Murphy, yeah. for folks who don't know you, I think, let me take a step back mm. because I think that I know you, Mustafa knows you, and we want to thank you for your service. Yes. Um, but we have, you know, we have, this show is across the land. I know there are folks back in your home state of Oregon uh, who are listening to this. So maybe if you could just kind of, why is this issue regarding climate change important to you? And growing up in Oregon, why, why did this one capture what 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 do you see different now and 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 
what do you why is this a commitment to you on this issue well my home state of oregon you see the impact of the changing climate uh, everywhere i like mm. to call it climate chaos because it, it reflects how powerful the changes are it's just not a little little bit of change here and there one is in the the pine beetles the pine beetles it's not cold enough to kill them in the winter mm -hmm. so they're doing great the beetles are doing great and the pine trees are dying. Or you take the situation with our oysters, where the ocean, having absorbed so much carbon dioxide out of the air, carbon pollution out of the air, and, and turn it to carbonic acid, is so acidic that baby oysters can't start forming shells. And we started, we had a billion baby oysters die in 2007, 2008. Wow. We have mm. to artificially change the makeup of the seawater for, for them to be able to, to live. Or you see the forest fires last summer stretching from Montana across through Idaho, Washington, Oregon, down to California. Much longer season, much drier forest, more lightning strikes, a, a terrible combination, the, the state covered by smoke weeks at a, a time, and not, not too much different in time, the hurricanes hitting in the southeast, those more powerful hurricanes, Maria and Harvey, and, and uh, just uh, taking that, that warmer water mm -hmm. and converting into more powerful uh, storms and, and uh, higher driving uh, sea surges uh, wiping out so so much and including uh, not just uh, in the uh, texas and in florida but on to uh, puerto rico and the virgin islands so in other words everywhere i look i see the impact of of what carbon pollution is is doing mm. and it's important to remember it used to be that um, you would hear folks say well, well, this is just a bunch of folks doing computer models in some ivory tower somewhere. And no, this is facts on the ground. And rural America is, is right in the target zone because it's hitting forestry, it's hitting right. fishing, and it's hitting farming. Well, Musaba actually is from West Virginia. Yes, sir. From rural. And Musaba, give, add, connect those spots from Oregon to West Virginia. I mean, there's very, very similar sort of dynamics that are going on. You know, you have a lot of small towns, um, hardworking folks, a lot of culture, too. We don't talk enough about the culture that exists in these places uh, and, and how we have to figure out ways of honoring that, understanding traditionally what they've brought to the table, but also how do we help them to move forward with a new clean economy, uh, with creating additional jobs, uh, uh, dealing with the public health impacts that happen in those spaces as well. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of similarities. And unfortunately, in many of our rural areas, sometimes they don't get the same level of media coverage. Um, so when there are these impacts that are happening or when we need to sort of leverage resources and get resources into those areas, sometimes if you don't have a champion uh, to help that happen. And that's why I'm so glad, Senator Markley, that you are so focused, um, not just on communities in Oregon. I know you have love and you, and you lift that up, but you also look beyond uh, the borders of his state to try and help others to be able to find a, a better path forward. So, you know, everybody knows I'm a huge champion for rural communities because, you know, sometimes they just don't get the attention or the resources that are necessary. Um, and we sometimes forget about the beauty that exists. Oregon is just gorgeous. And, and you want to be able to protect that natural resource. Uh, West Virginia is another place, and I hope that leadership there begins to, to understand what they are losing by not getting on board, um, you know, with renewables, with a number of other things that are going to be necessary to help folks to be able to move forward. Um, so that's why we need champions. Uh, and and you know, we have an incredible champion right here. Well, and one of the things we have to recognize is that as the economy changes and we're driving this change to 100%
clean and renewable energy to sustain what that means. So here's the, here's the plan that we, we depend on fossil fuels now for so much of, of our economy. Mm -hmm. And we should recognize that those who have worked in the fossil fuel world, they have helped power the world that that energy has multiplied what humankind can do. And it's done all kinds of, of good, Mm -hmm. but now we've come to understand that it also presents a a challenge because of the impacts of, of carbon pollution and that those impacts are accelerating. I mentioned the impacts in Oregon, but there are, are impacts all around the globe. In fact, just the 10 years I've been in the U.S. Senate, half of the coral reefs of the world have died because of the warmer, more acidic seawater so it's an accelerating pace so here's the thing we have to honor the work of those who have been in the traditional fossil fuel industries and uh, say they need to be able to be at the front of the line in this transition to a renewable energy economy and that means right now it means uh, uh, certainly wind and it means uh, solar and those are the two big ones but then there's all this other area that involves uh, electric transmission lines uh, it involves uh, storage of electricity and it involves a number of other uh, technologies that might involve wave energy uh, involve taking energy out of uh, irrigation pipes geothermal and so forth but the the, the big ones are storage and solar and wind and we want to make sure that uh, communities that have been part of the fossil fuel world are able to to seize good paying family wage jobs in the renewable energy oh, world right. Yeah, and, and send them. So you see, you know, you're on the show called Think 100. <laughs> percent That's the name of the show, actually, uh, and it is the coolest show on climate change. But on that 100, percent you know, you have some legislation you've been putting forth that actually talk about getting us to 100 percent renewable by a certain date. Give us some background on that information. You bet. This bill is, is called by the nickname 100 by 50. Mm-hmm. 100 is the most important number. It refers to the complete end to the burning of, of fossil fuels and using renewable energy. And, and as I mentioned, that involves a lot of renewable electricity, but also biofuels to substitute where you, where you need the higher energy density of, of fuels. And the 50 refers to 2050. And if you look at the carbon budget, uh, which is a fancy way of saying how much can you burn if, of fossil fuels before we are going to bust through two and a half degrees centigrade increase in the temperature of the planet, a goal that the international community has set, mm-hmm. it takes you roughly to 2050. And so it's, it's a way to summarize that in just over three decades, we have to drive this transition. And we need to drive it in a way not only that does justice for those working in fossil fuel world today, but also justice for our lower income communities. We want to make sure that they're available, they're able to benefit from community solar, uh, affordable electricity, energy efficiency mm-hmm. programs, that they have um, uh, assistance um, developing uh, the affordable public transportation or being able to buy uh, electric plug-in vehicles hmm. and so forth so that so that there are both jobs that are in our lower income communities but also benefits from these re- from the renewable energy so in this bill this 100 by 50 bill about half the money we raise goes towards these these efforts for the fossil fuel worker world and lower income communities that need a boost to their economic development. Senator, I have, I have a question. Mustafa, I want you to follow up on that with 
a part there on vulnerable communities. Mm -hmm. But before that, I want to make sure that we had to do justice to all the groups that we, we talk with. I know Mustafa's on the board of UCS and mm -hmm. also on the board of NWF. I'm on the board of LCV and other groups. And there's been discussion out there within the climate movement is that, is that fast enough? Is it, is moving, is it 100% renewable by 2050 or should it be 2030? For those who are listening from all sides of that spectrum, have that conversation in the climate movement, what would you say to them is that is about having a bill being 100 by 2050? Well, I'll tell you that uh, the faster we can drive it, the better for our planet. Uh, if you see where, where we are right now, when I was, when I was born, uh, we were going up about a third of a point per year in terms of carbon pollution. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it took three years to add uh, one, one part per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Now we're at about two and a half points per year. Uh, in other words, it's going so much uh, faster than it, than it was before. So instead of slowing down global pollution in, in, in carbon, we are ex still accelerating. So we're let me just put it plainly, we're in big trouble. Mm -hmm. And we have uh, fossil fuel industries around the world that are trying to preserve their, their wealth by continuing to emphasize burning fossil fuels and stop uh, a transition to renewables. And that's, I understand that they have a big investment, they want to protect it, but there is something bigger than that. This is, we only have on, one man. planet. That's right, come on. One planet. That's right. And so we've got we've got to make we've got to make a success of this, and that means right now, where the federal government is not going to hear my hundred by fifty bill tomorrow. <laughs> but we're, we're working on that. <laughs> uh, we have to fight at the grassroots level, mm -hmm. and so uh, various groups, and you mentioned uh, some of them, and let me throw in the Sierra Club, right. are really trying to drive this grassroots hundred percent movement, where a a city uh, commission a county commission, a university board or a community college board, uh, the board of a place of worship, they do a 100% resolution and they say, we are going in our use of energy, we're going to get to 100%, and they lay out a two or three year action plan. Mm -hmm. This year, we can change our electric, hot, or change our hot water heater to electricity. Next year, we can change our, our gas furnace to a, a heat pump. Uh, tomorrow, we can sign up for green electrons if our utility provides green electrons. Mm -hmm. Uh, next week, uh, we can change our light bulbs and, and conserve. I mean, there's so many things that can be done. And this is, is in some ways, much more powerful than sitting around saying, well, the federal government will take care of it. This because right. it educates people. And right. so to everyone out there, I just want to say, think about some organization you're part of. Uh, are you a student at a community college or university? Are you a member of a religious community? Are you a, a, a citizen in a, a town uh, or a county? Well, you can take this issue of 100% resolution to any of those boards and insist that they debate it and consider adopting it along with an action plan. Mm -hmm. That's right. And going to, to the question you had raised, Rev, for our frontline communities, we know that they are the places next to coal-fired power plants. We know that they are the ones next to these fossil fuel facilities, uh, whether we're talking about petrochemical stuff or a number of the other plants. So for them... It's the urgency. What does that mean, Mustafa? When you say next to, what, what does that mean? When you well, say literally, when we talk about frontline communities, when you get down in Texas, you literally, and Louisiana, you literally have communities that can reach out and touch either the fence 
or in some instances, as I've oh, talked about, you mean neck, like you mean like like next to next to, or like like eighty miles away next to. No, when I say next to, I mean next to. And we, we actually, I always encourage folks, uh, whether it's our elected officials, business leaders, those in the philanthropic family, go and see what these folks are dealing with. It will help you to to better have an understanding of why there is this urgency of the moment, if you will, which this urgency of the moment has been going on for decades now. But you go to places and folks around the country have heard me talk about the Manchester community in Houston, Texas. They're in the ship channel. You, Those folks can literally stand on their back porches, reach their arms out for some of the houses and touch the piping mm. that exists in these facilities. Now, that's not always the case. Sometimes it may be, you know, 50 yards away or or whatever the situation is, but that is still way too close. And so I say that when the, the work that Senator Merkley is doing and others in trying to, to move this agenda forward, along with help from the grassroots organizations and others, public health organizations, so forth and so on, is that our frontline communities get double and triple whammies. They get the whammy of the emissions that are coming out of the plants 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year in some instances. They get the whammies also from these storms because of the planet warming up. Uh, And then they get another whammy when they're being displaced and they're trying to figure out a way to come back home where they no longer, as we talked about in the segment before, their homes are no longer worth uh, a value. Um, So then they're starting over from, you know, from the beginning, if you will. So that's the urgency of this moment. And then, of course, with Senator Merkley and, and being able to go down to the border and see folks who are seeking asylum. We are going to have that situation happen more and more if we don't get it together. And it's going to be from the climate side, people trying to get to water, people trying to to escape from sea level rise, people trying to escape these heat zones that are are Mm. developing and, and so many other things. So that's why the work that the senator and others are doing is so critical. We do not have time to wait And if we do, we are going to lose people's lives uh, prematurely, uh, and we are going to damage generation after generation. Senator Merkley, so listen, Mustafa, I have a question, though, because you were just down there at the border, and you're dealing with immigration. Our movement has a tendency to put things in silos. So we'll put climate change in this box. We'll put rights in this box. We'll put issues regarding women's rights in this box. We'll put issues regarding immigration. How, one, you've already kind of connected. Talked talk about it, but how do we break the silos within our progressive movement? How do we not have a, a, a siloed progressive movement and they can see that what is happening on the border is also a direct impact of either policies regarding immigration, policies regarding health care? How do we break those silos down in our progressive movement? Oh, I, I, boy, I think the, uh, we listened to your program. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> doing a great job of breaking them down. And you think about how, for example, many of the folks who are, are fleeing to our southern border right now, uh, they're escaping uh, drug violence. Mm-hmm. And that drug violence, those drug cartels, where do they get their money? It's from the American consumer of drugs. So it's not some uh, kind of remote, unconnected sort of, sort of thing. And what we've seen is uh, that the amount of money generated is so large uh, that people essentially hire armies. Uh, they take over communities. I want to tell you about this uh, woman that I met uh, down there at the port of entry, at Hidalgo Point of Entry. And uh, so um, uh, I had heard that there were families out on the bridge who were being kept from bringing their asylum claims into the U.S. Uh, two weeks earlier. 
and so I wanted to go out on the bridge and see them, and I had gone back with a congressional delegation. And they said, oh, well, you can go out on the bridge. There's nothing there to see. Uh, well, why is that? Well, uh, I, we go out on the bridge, and we see that the American border guards are, were now in the middle of the bridge blocking the families from entering U.S. territory to present their asylum claims. Mm -hmm. So uh, we came off the mm -hmm. bridge. So the bridge didn't have people on it, but that's because they couldn't get to our side of the bridge. Mm -hmm. And so it came off the bridge and went in the doors of the port of entry, and there's a series of counseling rooms, and, and uh, they were empty. It sounded like they had additional capacity. They could have been taking more people and interviewing them for asylum claims. But I said, well, is anyone here you're holding uh, starting an asylum claim? They said, yes, we have a woman here. So they brought her out, and she came out with her little two-month-old uh, baby, and she told me her story. She said, she said, uh, look, I took out a loan. My family took out a loan uh, in Honduras. And the private bank, when we couldn't pay it, works with the, the local drug cartel as enforcers. And they said, if you either pay, don't pay the loan, someone's going to die in your family and, and probably mm. you. Mm. And she thought she was safe until she delivered her baby. So with one month to go, she fled to the U.S. Uh, and she went through Guatemala. She went through Mexico, all kinds of trials and tribulations. She delivered her baby en route. Uh, mm. And so she arrives, and she has this beautiful little girl named Andrea in her arms. And she told me it was 65 days old. And I said, you know, how did you, how did you proceed get across that pedestrian bridge to present your asylum claim when I'm out there seeing our border guards turn people away. And suddenly she got a big smile on her face. And she said, well, I tried to come across time and again. I was rebuffed. I was rebuffed. Uh, and then I saw that in the vehicle side of the bridge, there were people out there washing windows uh, for tips. Mm. So she said, I went and asked if I could borrow a squeegee. Mm. And somebody gave me a squeegee, and I started washing windows and worked my way across that whole bridge to the, to the American uh, side and, and until she was at the door and could present her asylum claim. And uh, I, I tell you that story just um, because that drug cartel back where she is in, in Honduras uh, was it meant business, and when after she left, they instead killed her uncle and um, the uh, so it was very real concern, but that cartel is funded by the money from Americans buying drugs, so we can 't just say it 's like some foreign disconnected uh, force, and so you also have uh, issues, uh, for example, uh, Central America, you have a lot of uh, fishing, the fishing's being affected by the warmer seawaters, the more acidic seawaters the loss of uh, coral reefs that are, are major places where a lot of fisheries um, have a key piece of their uh, chain of uh, production. Uh, so coral reefs are, are central to fishing uh, around the world. I just, it, the more you look, the more you see the, the links uh, if coming from every possible mm -hmm. direction. Mm -hmm. Senator, I, I have to ask this question because as you tell that story, my heart breaks because, as you know, for people of color, uh, we had a place in Africa that was called a point of no return that was for slaves. And now we have a place in America called the point of entry that is, seems to be as disturbing. Um, I actually want you to speak. I know supposed folks turning in right now, you're listening to Think 100%, the cool show on climate change. And we're sitting here with Senator Merkley from uh, Oregon. And I want to ask him this question because as we're having these conversations, this issue is not about Democrat or Republican. It's about humanity. I personally, um, when I signed up 
to be an officer in the Air Force. I didn't sign up. I, I listen. I got two boys who I knew very much that if I was giving my life, that you know my boys would never see me. I didn't sign up to fight for Democrats or Republicans. I didn't, when I took my oath as an officer, it wasn't like, okay, I'm doing this only for the Democrats. <laughs> I'm only doing this for folks in blue states. I'm only doing this for folks in the red states. I signed up for this country so that these kind of things would not happen. And people, I don't care who you are, rural, urban, Republican, or Democrat, people's hearts are breaking. Seeing what we are doing to families, seeing that we're, what are, are in action on climate change. So this is just, man, this is just, not just, not just an American, but this is just who you are. If you can just speak to Americans right now to give them some hope about where, what, what, what we can do, what would you want to tell them? Well, I'll tell you, we are, we are really in the, in the, uh, the abyss right now. Uh, we're deep in a, a hole. And, um, I say that in terms of fundamental values being challenged. Think, for example, of uh, Lady Liberty. Mm -hmm. And Lady Liberty holds up her torch and says, Send me, you're tired, you're poor, you're huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. And now there's a new inscription. It says, If you're fleeing persecution abroad and you wash up on our shores, we'll meet you with a pair of handcuffs, mm -hmm. we'll throw you in prison, and we'll take away your children. Mm -hmm. And uh, now the president has proposed changing that. And he's proposed internment camps mm -hmm. for families. So it's not just handcuffs for the parents, it's handcuffs for all. Or let us uh, take the, the general vision of our Constitution. It's all about written for we the people so that we'd have decisions and uh, bills and laws that reflect the will of the people. But uh, President Jefferson said to have that happen, you have to have political power distributed uh, equally among the people. Right. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there were some big holes in our constitution we've worked to uh, rectify over time uh, so that every person in our country gets to fully participate in our democracy uh, but his point was that if you had a concentration of power you would get laws by and for the powerful not the not the people but what do we see today we see laws by and for the powerful Last year, we saw a good part of the year spent on trying to undo health care, eliminate health care from some 30 million people. We saw a tax bill that borrows a trillion and a half dollars, and it doesn't help with housing or health care or education, living wage jobs. Instead, it gives it away to the richest Americans. We saw the theft of a Supreme Court seat in order to keep in place Citizens United, mm -hmm. a, a Supreme Court decision that allows the powerful to spend hundreds of millions of dollars in, in campaign every cycle so that they can, can create and, and basically control, be the puppet masters of the, of the House and the Senate. So this is the challenge. We're in, in, this, in this hole, but when you're in a hole, if you look up, you're going to see at some point some blue sky. Come on now. Mm -hmm. You're going to see that blue sky, and you're going to just have to say, we have seen other dark moments in our history mm. where we have found we are way off the path. We have stumbled into the briars, and we are going to find our way out of it. And that's what we have to do now. Mm -hmm. I know that's right. Yeah, I like that. Okay, oh, yeah, sir. I know that's right. <laughs> I had a Martin Luther King moment there for a second. <laughs> Senator, we wouldn't be the coolest show on climate change. And, you know, we often talk about culture in many different ways. So we know that you have to enter into some challenging situations sometimes. I'm curious. Um, uh, what is the artist? What is the song that sometimes maybe you pull on um, to, to give you that inspiration, to get you fired up, um, or, or to just be able to, you know, be about it, about it. Oh, boy, I, I, I tell you, 
Um, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here on a show with the Hip Hop Caucus, <laughs> and I'm about to talk to you about Alan Jackson. Wait a minute now. I'm or, down of country, bluegrass, everything. Oh, I was raised on it, so we can get, we can get into it. <laughs> Go ahead, sir. Well, you know, he has, he has this, one of his songs is Little Bitty, and it's just mm. about being satisfied with the little things in, in life. A little mm. bit of love, a little bit of care for a child, grows up. Uh, you know, and it's all right to be little bitty. And, uh, you know, you can take that to the, the philosophical end of simple living if you want, mm. or you can just enjoy the fact that you don't need a lot of material goods if you have relationships in, you, in your life. Mm. So I'll just throw that as an, an example of a little, little country tune that sticks in my head. Excellent. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> that's, so I, I had, I, 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 listen, you hit the culture. I had, before you leave, I do have one thing. I, I can't let you out of here. Because I know you've been talking, Mustafa didn't bring this up, but you probably should have brought it up because he works with the EPA. Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> there is a campaign out there that I know you, well, not a campaign you're a part of, but there's a campaign out there called Boot Pruitt. And so this, for those who are listening, I know you've been just aghast at this, seeing what's going on with the current administrator. What, what can folks do to kind of fix that. That just seems like, man, we, we should have clean air and clean water. Yeah, we're talking here about uh, Scott Pruitt and the enormous damage he's doing. When, when you think about the good folks at the EPA, those, those career folks who are trying to fight for clean air and clean water, they're taking some very complicated situations with a lot of different types of toxins and pollutants and finding a way to uh, improve the economy at the same time as they're reducing uh, the, the things that hurt us, the, the pollution that hurts us. And that takes, I think about like building a house. You need a lot of experts from a lot of angles, like the equivalent of a house of building a foundation. You've got to have a plumber. You've got to have an electrician. You've got to have somebody put the roof on, knows the windows, etc. But to tear down that house, all you need is one person with a wrecking ball. Mm -hmm. And in the environmental world, Tearing down the environmental house that people like Mustafa and colleagues have built up to uh, give us the clean air and water we have, uh, he is the wrecking ball. He's tearing it down. He's uh, ending the, the, the fines that, that drive and motivate people to obey the law. He's changing the regulations. He's, he's just absolutely doing damage from every direction. And uh, this is why so many of us have, have called on him to step down or, or be fired. Uh, it, um, it, he doesn't work there for the people. He's not a public servant. He's working, unfortunately, for the polluting community. Uh, he sees them as a, his constituency. And so he had some, he came to a, a hearing and he'd had some 20 things he'd done related to the air. And I asked him, how many of those made the air cleaner? How many of those were endorsed by the, by the like the, the Lung Cancer Society? Mm -hmm. And of course, I already knew the answer. The answer was zero. Mm -hmm. They opposed all of them because they all made the, the world worse, uh, created more disease, mm -hmm. uh, more damage rather than eliminating it. So I hope uh, uh, Scott Pruitt, uh, you know, if he wants to be a lobbyist, uh, uh, for the uh, polluters, then then be a lobbyist and, and get out of the government and let the good people at the EPA uh, keep our air and water clean and do their job. Well, Sam Murphy, you were fantastic. Thank you for joining us here on Hip Hop Caucus. Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. Any, any last words, Mustafa? No, we just got to stay focused on moving our most vulnerable communities from surviving to thriving. Well, you have been listening to think 100% the coolest show on climate change
Thanks for joining us this week on Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, a hip-hop caucus platform. Let's keep this important dialogue going. Be a part of the conversation by following us on social media at Think100Show and at Hip Hop Caucus. Visit our website at think100.info for blog content, information on upcoming events, or to connect with us. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever podcasts are available so you'll never miss an episode. Rate and review us or simply tell a friend. Climate change impacts all of us. And if we think 100%, we can achieve a 100% sustainable and just world together. Think 100, think 100, think 100, think 100.